Hi folks, this is Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast. There's always one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things we can all do to live a better life if times get tough, or even if they don't. Today is August the 17th, 2020. This is episode 2713 of the Survival Podcast. It is a Monday, lead-off show of the week. Um, Nicole Sauce has to come on and just have kind of a, uh, a bullshit session. Just sit down and talk about lessons that we have both taken from the COVID pandemic, uh, and specifically more of the lessons from the overreaction by government and by humanity to the COVID pandemic and what that's taught us, what we've done to adapt to it, and eventually looking at our future and some pretty bleak things, honestly, that really have nothing to do with the pandemic but all have to do with the self-inflicted wounds that we have, uh, that we have heaped upon ourselves. Uh, with this colossal overreaction. And uh, today's show, I'm going to do a very brief intro because this is a very long show. And we'll have a very brief outro as well. So I'm going to get Nicole on right away. I did want to lead off today, though, with a quote of the day. And uh, this is by Simon Sinek. And he said once, Panic causes tunnel vision. Calm acceptance of danger allows us to more easily assess the situation and see the options. Um, wow. Kind of wish maybe some of the people in our government and in society had read that before COVID-19 hit. I really do. Because we have lots of options here of how to deal with this, and the ones we're using are probably the worst. And that's the other side of this quote. Panic causes tunnel vision, and that is what happens. When we panic, we seize onto whatever options seem best at the second, and they seldom are. With that in mind, let's go ahead and get our discussion going today, and let's bring Nicole on. With that, hey, Nicole, welcome to the Survival Podcast. Great to be here, Jack. Hey, um, so I've got you on today to talk about lessons from the pandemic. I've got my own bullet points. We're going to go through yours, and I'll throw mine at you whenever I feel like derailing you and making you talk about my stuff. <laughs> that sounds perfect. But <laughs> let's start off before COVID. What did prepping look like for the Holler crew uh, before this all started? Well, a little background. So the Holler crew are a group of people who are philosophically aligned, and, and because of our shared interests, we've ended up living all next door to each other like a big, crazy commune, but everybody still has their own land and home. And so we are able to do things together as a community that benefit from you know volume effort. For example, if somebody's really good with setting up generator systems, then that's our backup power guy, that sort of thing. And so what we had been doing for the last year or two is looking at where we're prepared, boning up on things that we thought we were weak in, like fuel storage or other things like that, and then hoping that when a disaster happened, we'd be ready to go. And yeah, that's been an interesting little adventure. We'd have meetings about once a month to talk about it and look over what our preps looked like. And, of course, we listen to the Survival Podcast, so we have some of your guidance, Jack, that we've tapped into over the years because um, several of us, I'm included in this, were not preppers until we started listening to your show and realized that just living smartly and planning ahead turns out that's prepping. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It is. Um what are some of the things that have changed or what are some things that you've taken away from the whole COVID thing as a lesson? 
We got we had a really lucky thing happen here in early March. Terrible tornadoes ripped through Tennessee and knocked out power for days and shut down communications. So why is that lucky pre-COVID? Well, it was a two-week-in-advance window of the shutdown opportunity to see what life was like when we didn't have, like we genuinely didn't have access to things like grid power or the Internet. And and so we had already worked through that, identified some big weaknesses in our preps, and one of the things I noticed was that the way we get our food it was still sort of dependent on a monthly trip to the commercial food system or the centralized food system, which is fine. That is part of how we've worked it out. But that meant, you know, to, we could survive without trips to the store. But there were some luxury items that if we wanted to really get through a longer time, it would be nice to have. And so we had started adjusting our storage strategy to have more luxury items like chocolate, for example. And um, so when the shutdowns happened, what happened here at first, it didn't really impact our store, Mm -hmm. but then stuff was out and I didn't care. And I think had we not had the tornado, I would have cared. Uh, Some of the other things I noticed was I have, so because I worked in public policy for 14 years, I have people who are working closely with public officials all over the country, and they very quietly spread the news among their friends, uh, what it looked like, the officials, the actions that were going to be taken. So I knew three to four weeks in advance often of things that were coming down the pike that people just saw whack them in the face when it came through. And so those political connections, which is just having good relationships with people, helped us a bunch go go into this whole system. Um, I think the other thing that COVID really has highlighted for me is that finding real information is almost impossible. Hmm. And that means you're responsible for making your own decisions. So even that information I was getting from the politically connected, there was a point where it looked like they were going to shut down all travel, except for if you had papers, Right. Did you get yeah. that rumor? Well, here's actually, now that you mentioned that, here is my bullet point that kind of counters that bullet or, or connects to that bullet point. Commercial uh, or connected contacts lie and are often wrong. Yes. I got so much bullshit that even, it was so much bullshit that when I got it, I said it was bullshit. And these were not random clowns that I don't know. Some of them were show-connected, and some of them were family-connected. So, you know, one was, for instance, uh, a person who works for Department of Homeland Security, not through my show, through Mm -hmm. my my nephew, and he told them that we were going to lock down everything in Texas, i.e. Wuhan style, like where you would not even be able to leave your home, and they would have to have people coming around delivering stuff. And I said, well, that's, that's bullshit. And they said, but he works for Homeland Security. And I said, yes. And he probably heard the term lockdown, and then he invented what it meant. There's, well, there's, how could they even do that in they Texas? Can't. They can't do it. Well, it, it was going to be nationwide, by the way. Oh, my gosh. But it was going to start in Texas because we were particularly a high risk or something like that. And this is back when we had, like, no cases. And, like, two weeks later, I was hanging out, you know, I can't remember the name of the place now. I always want to say Granbury, but it's not Granbury. It's a, a cool town. In Texas, I went down there with our mutual friend David and his wife Mona and my wife, and we, like, partied for a whole week, right? Mm-hmm. So, like, that was after this was coming in a couple days. And right. so my 
my view is politically connected contacts, even when they're legitimate, you still, and I think that's where you're going with this, like you still yeah. need to take anything they say with a grain of salt. Another uh, mutual contact we have, John Willis, he had a contact that worked for the Railroad Commission in Tennessee where you are, and supposedly they were going to lock the whole state down and even the railroad. And I'm like, okay, well, you're going to have to reevaluate your relationship with this guy because he does work for the railroad, and he is telling you this. And this is the dumbest thing I've ever heard because why would you lock down the most contactless form of freight that you have? And <laughs> yeah. he's like, well, I, you know, I trust the guy. I'm like, well, you know, and I haven't heard the fallout of that conversation, but I imagine that the follow-up conversation didn't go well because, of course, they didn't do that. So I've just found that, like, Connected contacts lie or are wrong, and I think it's a mixture. I think what happens is they do hear something, and then they start talking. Like, just because your friend works for Homeland Security or I don't care if it's Secret Service, I don't give a shit, FBI, CIA, I don't give a flying shit who it is. They're still a human. Yeah. And, and you know the telephone game. So they start talking amongst themselves, and Joe says, well, I think, and Tom hears Joe say that, and then Tom goes and tells Frank, Joe said, and next thing you know, this whole new diatribe has been released from connected people, and I've found it to be mostly useless. I wouldn't say useless, because that's not right, because there were some things that were useful, but mostly useless. Yeah, I think the useful information I got was supply chain issues were going to happen, and it made sense. It like passed the bullshit test mm. in my head. Yeah, like that 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 makes sense. If you start having shutdowns and fear, people, you know, things are going to run out. And so it's a good idea to evaluate your preps. I think that rumor that you're talking about from John Willis, it yeah. wasn't just him. I oh, got it. I got it from truckers who I know all over the country. Yeah. I got it from rail people from three or four different states at the same time that he got that. Yep. And they all said it was going to happen. It was like on a Saturday they started talking about it or something. And on a Monday, Monday it was, yeah. shut. They, no, it was that Monday rumor. one. Yeah, and and you had to have your papers. Well, here's what you have to do to get your papers. Take your business letterhead and write that you are a, you know, whatever we're essential supposed employee. to be. Essential employee. Yeah, that word. And then suddenly you can walk around. And, and I mean, I heard it and I was like, well, crap, if that happens, like how do I pick up my pallet of coffee that's being delivered? And so... You know, I did take some steps when I heard that, just in case Nicole something weird awesome happened. Nicole Awesome Sauce is an essential employee of Holler Rose Coffee. Please <laughs> let her go coffee. on her way, right? Yeah. You don't want to see an uncaffeinated nation. You sign, do. You just don't want Jack to see that. Spirico, <laughs> yeah. Chief caffeine officer of, you know, because you can't put your own name on it. So, I mean, to some extent, I wonder, with that particular rumor, how much of that was a planted rumor to see how the citizens would react. That's, you know, my conspiracy hat just went on on that one. It could because be. It could be. But I actually feel it is more what I said. Because we did have lockdowns that began immediately about that time. Yeah. And so I think it was we're going to have a lockdown. And then all these different people at all these different levels took it upon themselves to define what that meant, and that was never the right word. Would mm -hmm. it, the right word would have been restricted movement, um, shutting down non-essential businesses. Is that, That's actually what happened. We shut down non-essential businesses. But you didn't need your papers to go out because, well, everybody has to go get groceries, which apparently COVID doesn't spread at Walmart and Piggly Wiggly, right? It no, only no, spreads it at churches and non-essential businesses. Mm -hmm. And in Texas, it's safe to go to Walmart, And in Michigan, you can go to Walmart, but only 50% of the store. 
The right. COVID in Michigan has mutated that it infects the gardening side and, you, and utility side of Walmart. And in Texas, it's not mutated, so it can, you can go to Walmart worry-free. As long as you wear your mask, that doesn't work. Right. It makes perfect sense. It, it's all it has all made sense the whole time. And you know <laughs> some of that is people don't get how science works. No. You come up with a hypothesis and then you <laughs> test the hypothesis to verify it and then other people look at your conclusions and they test it and over time what happens is you start approximating what's going on, right? Yes, and, and it's really important that when you test the hypothesis you're actually testing the proposed, testing. the proposed yeah. hypothesis, not your version, <laughs> not your version of it. Like the whole, I don't want to go down the the rat hole with it, but the hydroxychloroquine, yeah. it works on early patients with zinc in high risk groups. Let's test patients near the edge of death without zinc. Does it and work? Then that's not give them ten times the dose or whatever they've been doing. Yeah, yeah. So like the the thing with that is that's not specific to that. It's so many things have have followed that exact template. We've taken this thing that was proposed. And we've tested something that totally is not the thing that was proposed, and then we've either verified or disverified that thing that was never actually tested or never actually considered. And that's like the mask thing is another one. Well, you test people in a, in a laboratory environment that change their mask every 20 minutes. It sort mm -hmm. of works. Okay, thousands of people walking around breathing their own phlegm into a mask all day long. That's not the same thing. They did test that. They said it doesn't work in 1947, Well, yeah, and they, you know, you can see that Department of Homeland Security at the airport, right? It's security theater. Yeah, yeah. We're, they're basically doing security theater for a virus right now. That's that's what we're looking at. It's security theater, so we can all feel emotionally better about it, or like something's being done to stop this. And that's really dangerous because it keeps you from questioning <laughs> what's really going on, right? And if we want to learn how to protect ourselves from a virus, perhaps we should look beyond the the security theater of it all. Absolutely. Yeah, so like one of your bullet points was the scariest thing to be ready for is the willingness of people to go along, and not only that, to enforce bullshit. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of where you're getting to there, right? Because we have all the Karens out screaming at the non-Karens to wear your mask when they're taking a walk in the woods right now. Like, that's... Like, I'm not as anti-mask as people think, like... I kind of right. get how, like, if you get out of your car, walk to the door of a store, put a mask on, and you're in there for 20 minutes, and you actually wash your mask or replace it, that that may, in fact, actually possibly help. Maybe. Like, I'm not, I'm not closed down if, to the possibility. If, if you have the virus. If you have the virus. Yeah. If you don't have, and see, that's, that's the offset with the mask, right? Like, the offset with the mask is by masking everybody, the additional respiratory infections that are not COVID that are caused by it, yep. compared to whatever limited benefit you might have gotten, exceed the risk. And, like, nobody's looking at it in totality that way. But regardless of whether that's true or not, the absolute insanity with which people have embraced this, and it's amazing how every time they move the goalpost of what needs to be done, people just switch, and they forget, right? Because yeah. what was it at first? Flatten the curve. Right? We're going to flatten the curve. Wash your hands and flatten the curve. Okay, we can do that. 
don't wear masks. They're dangerous. Okay, we won't wear masks, and we'll wash our hands, and we'll flatten the curve and use sanitizer. Okay, great. That's uh, Everybody does that, or you're evil. If you touch the shopping cart without sanitizing it first, you're a moron. Then, stay at home, save lives. Then we had that for how long? And then, all of a sudden, stay at home, save lives just goes away. We don't have to stay at home. Just put a face diaper on. Right. And everybody on one side of this has so embraced that that it, there was a meme that went around that was like if, if Fauci said to you know put petroleum jelly on your finger and stick it up your ass whenever you go outside, that there would be a line of people buying petroleum jelly the next day with their finger in their ass. And it almost seems that way, doesn't it? I mean, like, well, memes it, by their very nature are extreme examples, yeah, but it... Yeah. I said they would do the elephant walk in a heartbeat. We won't explain what that is if you don't know. I still haven't Googled that. And I'm don't not Google gonna, it. I'm not going to Google it. If you don't need to know, you don't need – if you don't know – I've been kicked out of the cool kids club by by David because I won't do it, but he's just trolling me. Yeah, he is. If you're, if, you're, if you're in your upper 40s and you don't know what the elephant walk is and you've gone this long without it, you don't need to know. Right. Well, I think it's also they're enforcing it separate from logic of any kind, right? So. Yeah. It, you know, the, there's that story of the lady who walked up to a couple having a picnic outside and maced them. Well, what happens when you mace somebody? Their eyes run, they sneeze, like all of this phlegm is produced. And that's like, that's what you don't want to be exposed to. So she's she's also endangering herself if she's afraid of getting the virus through getting people's crud on her by walking up to somebody and macing them for not wearing a mask. And, you know, that's. I saw that story. That was the first thing I thought. I was like, I probably shouldn't put that in the comments, though, because it'll unleash another shit storm. There was already a shit storm going on. Uh, you know, I'm done with not making shit storms worse at this point. I have, I'm going to put out like a pot stirring badge or something for people to earn. <laughs> I mean, you might as well just because people, people have asked me, like, you know, you're so big on only doing things that are productive. Why do you even bother with this shit? And it's because it is the greatest window into how people think that I have ever found. So I don't think I'm going to change the Karen's mind. But I actually need to understand this wholly violent ideology that people have. Yeah. And by it, it's amazing when they get triggered like this, they'll actually show you. It's like the Joker from Batman. They show you who you are, who they are, right? And like when you see who these people are, it's, it's, it, it's, it's like you said, it's frightening. It's far more frightening than COVID to me anyway. Well, it's funny because I left Portland, Oregon, in part because of the political environment there. It, it It is more racist in Portland than in the South. That's not the national stereotype. But one of the things that bothered me was the racist attitude of the inhabitants, not all of them, but some of them, of them. And it was under, you know, the guise of being inclusive. And I'm like, that's still racist. If you don't want poor black kids in your school district, which is Schwank. Yeah, that's racist that, you know, they can't paint it any other way. And then, you know, their heads explode and they explain why I'm wrong. But <laughs> it was it was just under the surface hidden. And I it bothered me. And here, I mean, there are racist people here, but you know who they are. <laughs> and they, they're not embraced. That's the difference. No. I grew up in Pennsylvania. <laughs> and now that's as that's as Yankee as it gets. Right. And I'm going to tell you. This whole idea that the South is racist and the Northeast isn't is insane. I heard people openly say things. Now, I'll, I'll admit it was 25 years ago and back. Right, right. But I heard people openly say things in central Pennsylvania that no one 
would say openly. I'm not saying nobody thinks that way. I'm saying nobody would openly say in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. Mm -hmm. And when you do occasionally hear something like that, it's almost inevitably some recent transplant from, like, Philadelphia, you know, who thinks, oh, well, that's how this is down here. So now I can be clear with who I am. And immediately it's like, dude, what the hell? Go elsewhere. And, yeah, it's... It, it, and, like, racism is only one piece of that. I think the whole ideology is violent it, because it all hinges on we are going to force what we want in others. Well, they'll bully you into um, changing your mind, which doesn't change anybody's mind. No. Like, the, the approach of bullying people because their opinion is different than yours is totally wrong. I'm all up for debating it and talking about it. I'm even like, if you want to say I think you're a poopy head because of the, your opinion, that's fine. Yeah. But when you get to the point of bullying verbally and then bullying through threats and then bullying violently, which is the progression that happens, you're worse than the person who just has an idea that they that you don't agree with, right? Even if it's an abhorrent idea, they're not actually hurting anybody with that. They just have a, a, an opinion you don't like. Like, why is it okay to, you know, kill their kids or whatever you've decided to threaten? Yeah, as much as I uh, abhor racism, I don't want racists silenced. I don't want their ability to speak their ideology silenced because I believe that their ideology is so easily countered with logic and reason that I would prefer to have that discussion and do so. I would prefer them to show themselves for who they are. I don't want them deplatformed or shut down on the streets or taken out up until the point where they start to actually do something to somebody. Then you're then you're defending an individual, which that's my belief is we should all be for the right of the smallest minority that there is, which is the individual. So your your right to say whatever you want goes right up to the point where you are clearly inciting violence or you start to actually do something to somebody. So if you want to open up your mouth and say, I don't think black people should be able to go to my restaurant, please do. Go ahead. Put up a big sign, just like they did back in the Jim Crow days, no blacks. And there will yeah. there will also will not be a Jack Spirico or a Nicole sauce nope. in your restaurant either. Doesn't I, matter I how hungry a, I am, I'm not going there. I, yeah, I'm not going. <laughs> and I think, you know, it isn't nineteen fifty five anymore. Right, it is 2020. I think if you if we let people do that, they'd all be out of business very swiftly. And I don't think we'd need to have giant organized Twitter storm riots and all that. We would just, hey, look, he's a racist shithead. Let's not give him any business, you know. And and my my other thought on that is when people get like incensed about that and like, well, they're, they're damn well going to serve me. Why would you want to give your money to someone that hates you for who you are? Because if you I, hate me because I'm an anarchist, whatever, I don't want to go to your restaurant either. Like, if you want to put up a sign that says, no anarchists here, I'm not going. Okay. okay. <laughs> Great. Glad I'm out. I, you, and, you know, you might know I am and spit in my burger, so I'm glad I know not to go. Okay, fine. Yeah, yeah, they it, just... Go ahead. Go ahead. It, it just is scary how... Because we kind of strayed there. It's scary how yeah. much they have just embraced whatever narrative is handed to them. And I think it kind of goes to... People do things just to feel that they did something, right? So that goes all the way back to the beginning of this when everybody went out and bought toilet paper and water, and you're like, what the hell? What is wrong yeah. with you people? Now, I did have to tell her to Dorothy and go, you know, I'm glad you stored toilet paper. because <laughs> I'm with your wife on that one. I mean, every time we'd go to Costco for anything, she'd just grab one of those giant jumbo things and shove it in the yeah. closet upstairs. And I'm like, she's like, it never goes, what do you say? It never goes bad. Okay, fine. So, like, this all happened. I'm like, well, we can wipe our ass until, like, January of 2022, so I'm good. <laughs> right? So the toilet paper at least sort of made sense. The bottled water, it's like, 
you, you know it's not a hurricane, guys. And, yeah, buy, and I, buy a filter, man. <laughs> I finally realized what they were doing. They were doing something that they knew to do so they could feel like they had some control. And that's yeah. why they're wearing masks now. That's why they're yeah. screaming at people over masks. That's why they, they, sh they shouted catchphrases like stay at home, save lives without even knowing what that meant. Like that's well, why they, they shouted flatten the curve, flatten the curve, flatten the curve. you like, do you even know what that means? No, you don't. It saves lives. Well, how? It saves lives by not overwhelming the hospital. It doesn't mean any less people get infected. You didn't know that, right, didn't you? No, you didn't know. Maybe you shouldn't be parroting things you don't know. And then, like, every single thing they've put out, they've just mother-loved it, man. They've just grabbed it and made it their own. And if you don't do it, you're wrong. Well, they do that politically, too, though, right? Because we've oh, been sure. training people... If you're one team or the other team and your team says this is the talking point and these are the proper actions, that in order to stay on that team, you need to take those actions and use those talking points. Lockstep. And by training, I mean, we've been doing a really good job of training that for decades, probably longer. And with that intrinsically in people, then, of course, when the experts say do this or that or the other thing for COVID, and then we link it to your political ideology You've got, like, the master plan of control at that point on what people are doing. This was, that was, I mean, it was stark to me how if I wear a mask or not will tell you if I'm a Republican or a Democrat right now. And you'll be wrong, but... Well, for, you know, most of the time you wouldn't. Right. You, there's the other category, right? Like, the giant, like, our, our category's other because we're both very anarcho- But there's also a lot of libertarians that, aren't, that won't come quite this far, and there's yeah. political atheists and whatever. But if you vote and you consistently vote D or R, I would say there's a 95% chance that your status on mask is directly linked to your party affiliation. And if it is, you need to take a closer look at why you're making your decisions. Like, that should Either be a wake-up call. Yeah. Either way, right? Like even a Rep the, the Republicans that are anti-mask, like, okay, why are you anti-mask? Because, okay... That's a good reason. <laughs> I, yeah, I don't accept that answer from my no, nine-year-old. No, because freedom, grandson. man, freedom. Yeah, because is not a good enough answer from my nine-year-old, so I'm not going to take it from you. And that's right. where I say, you know, I can see how maybe close contact, large numbers indoors. Now, then I also, being a thinking person, cannot understand the principle behind, like Dorothy and I went to Olive Garden this weekend, and we had to wear our <laughs> mask from the front door to the table from the yep. table back to the front door, but we sat there for an hour and a half enjoying ourselves with great conversation with no mask on. This, this, with social distancing and, you know, restaurants not exactly packed anyway right now. Like, this makes no sense. There is no world that this makes any sense in. Yeah, from a spreading the virus standpoint, as if it couldn't go through the air from table to table once you're sitting down. Only when you're sitting down. When you move, see, you create this vortex that chases your ass and it swirls in a double vortex around your ass cheeks, circles up your chest, and spins into your nose. And when you exhale, it goes back down the opposite way, and it flares out at people. So that's why you have to wear your mask when you're walking, but when you're sitting down, it's okay, unless you're sitting down in a place where you're not eating, and then the vortex happens anyway. I mean, it's almost like that's the mental gymnastics you have to do to justify this. Yeah. And that goes back to not looking at the root. And I think, you know, the information we got, the way the media covered this, the way the politicians put information out on the whole thing, 
just was a, an underline to you just have to make your best decision with the information you can find, period. You're responsible. That's all. That's all I took out of it. I was like, wow, the media really is. It's worse than I thought it was. And I thought it was bad. Yeah. <laughs> now oh, I'm like, it's, yeah, it's done. It's done. That, that's why my friends who are responsible reporters can't find jobs. That way, right there. The way I look at it is it's like somebody has a wound in their arm and you've put some ointment on it and you put a bandage on it. And one day you take the bandage off and the scab sticks to the bandage. And it's this deep, gangrenous, infected wound that was always there, but you thought it was healing well until that ripped off. That's mm -hmm. what I feel like COVID did. And it's done it everywhere. It's done it with the dumbing down of the American people. Like, you knew it was bad, but man, wow. It's done it with the fact that the cities are ready to rot and decay and fall apart. We knew it was bad, but wow. It's done it with all of the trends I've been talking about, like... Um, yeah. automation, like schooling, like all of this stuff. And then it's caused people to behave in ways that make literally no sense. So the, the Republicans have said what accurately for the last 25 years, consistently. Schools are liberal indoctrination centers, uh, you know, brainwashing our children so that they can take over for the future. Great. Okay. Schools are failing right now rapidly. You have an opportunity to completely shift everything by taking your kids out of school. And they're home anyway, so why not just take one more step? And what Because the they need free daycare. Right? And, but but they, it doesn't matter because they don't have it anyway. Yeah. Right? The, the kid is home doing the state school on the computer anyway. And what do they want to do? They want to save the school system. And the left who has screeched that teachers are heroes without capes, they need more money, the children are our future, academia for the win, blah, are the ones screeching in every way possible to make sure the system fully dies. So you, you literally have the dichotomy in opposition to itself and now back to opposition with each other. It's, it's one of the most radically brain-shifting things I've ever seen. I... I cannot get my head around it. I, I really it, like. I can usually just go, yeah, that's people. This one, I'm. I know the, ba the the babysitting thing, but man, most people, their kids have been home for six months. Whatever you need to do to figure that out in six months, you've done it. I yeah. I think it's a sign that it really is going to crash, though. If the I think what you've seen happen here is that reaction to me is the nail in the coffin. When I worked in school choice policy, mm -hmm. if you got the Democrat to back it, that was a big indication that you would get your policy reform through. If it was only Republican pushed, they would double cross you at the last minute. That's what would happen. Hmm. And so I think when you see it go from Republican to Democrat and they flip like that, writing on the wall, because they are going to let it fail. Yeah. Yeah, it's 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 um, I mean the way I put it is, in in, in each instance, in this case, in, in in policy with education, I think it's Democrats tend to believe their own bullshit more than Republicans do, right? And I think there's other niches that we won't get into and go f that far off the rails, but where Republicans <laughs> believe their own bullshit more than Democrats do. Yeah, like and you see that's where that wishy washy shit comes from from one side or the other, but. I'll, you know, people will get mad at me for this, but I'll say that Democrats generally do a better job of just sticking to their guns. Yeah, that's true. When it true. comes to policymakers, which I hate them all, so it's not a compliment. It's just a, an observation, right, that they generally they stick to their guns, and they're better at incrementalism. The left is way better at incrementalism than the right. They're way better at, look, we, we want this much, but we can only get an inch, so we'll take an inch. And we'll take an inch next year, 
and we'll take an inch. And they know 12 years, 12 inches make a foot. Mm-hmm. And they're willing to compromise one way or another to get that done. And I don't mean compromise in the really great way. I mean compromise is just accept that this is what we can get right now, which is really actually very sleazy. And it's one reason I kind of tend to hate them a little more than the right at times. But like I, I think you see that going on now. And I wonder what the end game is on education for the left because I there think is one. The, I, oh, there, <laughs> there is, is one, one, of course. I think that so the average teacher really is. It this is going to sound terrible when I say it, but I'm speaking to a specific manner when I say this. The average teacher really is an idiot when it comes to the policies that make them do what they have to do. So I don't mean an idiot is and they can't you know make teach. sweet potato pie or, or teach. I mean mm-hmm. that when it comes to policy, they're idiots. They have no idea. They just do what they're told. And I think the administrators are trying to save their own skin and figure we can make enough room for most of us, give a lot of us some cush golden parachute retirements. But they know that this is coming, so the teachers have to be early retired, put out, gotten rid of. And it's going to be a smaller place with less in it. And I think that they want it to happen as fast as possible. That way they can get rid of that big chunk all in one fail. Bloop. It's the iron law bureaucracy there. And then, oh, sorry, sorry, Miss Tilda. I mean, no, we told you you were a hero, but you've got to go. It's the evil Republicans' fault. I don't know how, but it is. And I think the plan is to actually gut the education system and downsize it because, let's face it, there's places like Texas where our teachers, basically, their retirement is a 4013B. So it's, it's theirs. The state doesn't have a real burden. Yeah. Right? But a lot of states... When a teacher retires, their co- the cost of that teacher barely goes down. Right. And then you, and then you have to replace for, for the rest of their life. For the rest of their life. And I think those markets are the ones that are most anti-go-back because they know they're going to break. They know they're going to break, and they know they can't pay it. They just can't. You know, something that kind of went around here in Tennessee is that they were talking about adding wellness checks with mm-hmm. parents not around for all these kids who are at home doing yeah. distance learning. Yeah. And so I think you're right. I think we're looking at a great downsize, but then they're going to be trying to put in even more invasive fingers into the home life to counteract that. So they're going to start talking about how kids are abused by their parents. Mm-hmm. Which, they're never abused by teachers. Which does happen, but I don't think the majority of parents abuse their kids. And... And so then under the guise of helping the kids, there, there, there's an element pushing that, you know, cradle to grave, we're looking at what you're doing inside your own house so that we can oversee that. And I think that's the, the new, that's one new push for the indoctrination arm. And there'll be some step back from that that they try to get through it. You know, they may try to say homeschooling becomes illegal and you have to do it all digitally with our curriculum. That's not going to go very far, especially in some parts of the states, but they're, they're going to try. It's going to happen. See, when you start talking about that, I go into the world where I say there's no such thing as a coincidence, but there are coincidences. And, and what I mean by that is the way that most people use the word and the way I use the word are completely different. So when I mm-hmm. say coincidence, I'm talking about synchronicity and things being interconnected. So I don't think it's... In, uh, in you know, not a coincidence that we've had this huge explosion with BLM and riots and defund the police at the same time that we've had COVID. I don't think that's unrelated. 
But I don't think it's a coincidence the way the average person uses the word. It just happened to happen. Right. I think that, that like they, they're causational to each other. And it, if you want to look at this whole thing and start seeing it interrelated instead of separate, so they want to defund the police. They do not mean, well, Miss Nicole, since um, we're going to have less of a police presence in the holler, uh, we're going to lower your taxes. That's no. not what they mean. So they still want the money. So what do they want to do with the money? They want to provide better social services. Oh, yeah. okay. So that what does that mean? That you're going to like send people around to like I don't know dry my tears? No. What it means is you're going to create an, an organization, something like Family Protection Organization yeah. or something, right? So right. like something like CPS, but it's for the whole family instead of just for the kids. Right. Right. Now, so. You don't have kids, but let's say that you had a couple kids, say seven and nine. Who are you more concerned about seeing at your front door right now? Officer Friendly or somebody from CPS? Which one immediately makes your gut sink? CPS. Okay, so do you really think that family services or family counseling unit 1A or whatever they call this shit isn't going to actually be more invasive and have more ability to destroy a family than a cop can? Mm -hmm. Of course they are, but we're defunding the police. No, you're not defunding the police. You're changing the police because CPS is the police, right? They're law enforcement. They just have a different way. They don't lock you up. They take your kids away. Right. So the cop comes to your house, and it looks like your husband's been beating you, but he hasn't, and you say he hasn't. You guys had a fight, and you happen to injure yourself, which actually does happen on occasions. And you say, look, Nothing happened here. They leave. Yeah. Bet you these new people ain't going to leave. No. I got to tell you a story. So at my workshop, JR leaned on his phone and called 911. Oh. Uh. False call. And, and then he gets up and starts presenting. And if you accidentally call 911, even if you say it's an accident, they come out anyway. Yeah. The police do. Yep. And so as he's starting his his whole thing police officer shows up. I didn't know that was going to happen. Yeah. And there was a dog outside, came barking across the yard at the scary oh. guy with a gun. Yeah. Actually jumped and bounced off his leg, and he just stood there and did nothing. And then he checked, and then he left. And I was like, wow, all these stories I hear about dogs getting shot, and I really appreciate, because the dog was literally going after him, looking like she was going to bite him. But wrong he pop, was, that goes totally the other way. Yeah, he was just like, I can tell she's not going to, and he goes, no, it's the little dogs I worry about. <laughs> I said thank you. Well, it's a rural, <laughs> rural Tennessee cop too. Like, if that yeah. happened in downtown Dallas, that dog probably would have got shot. Yeah. Yeah, we had that happen recently. Like, my phone and Dorothy's phone have both occasionally just not bumped. Like, just did it. Like, we were driving. Yeah. We were driving down the Belton for Mother Earth News. I had my phone in one of those little cradles for navigating. And yeah. all of a sudden, it started making this weird alarm sound, and it dialed 911 for no reason. Oh, no. Oh, now, no. we were on the road, and I'm like, I'm not stopped. The lady was like, okay, it's fine. And they didn't yeah. send somebody. But Dorothy had hers go off the other night, and a freaking sheriff's deputy came by at midnight, and he, she had to go outside to the fence and talk to him. Yeah. To make sure, like, I wasn't holding her hostage or something. Right. It's, it's yeah. So, like, you can see where things could go really wrong there. Um, you said in your stuff that you had prepared for the show that, one of the things you've taken away from it is building your life toward your purpose and following your passion sets. What do you, what do you mean by that? Okay, so I did a pretty non-smooth transition from being dependent on a pretty corporate job to 
taking control of my life and my income. And I wouldn't recommend people do it the way I did it, but you know, if you're having health problems, then maybe you should. <laughs> and so for the last, oh gosh, four years, I've gone from really good income to I need to figure out how to make money on my own through my podcast and the coffee business and consulting. And so when the shutdowns happened, what that meant is that I already had income streams in place for being stuck at home. And my biggest income stream was from corporate facilitation, and that has gone completely away from me this year. So it had been, you know, at first it was 100% of my income, and then it was 80%. And then as things built, it went down a little bit. And I was really thankful that I had stopped chasing the dollar and started chasing a lifestyle I wanted to live because that was in place. And that's why right after the shutdowns happened, I started talking to people about building their side hustles because I knew so many people in your audience and mine who suddenly were furloughed. Yeah. And like you can sit around and look at your navel and be upset about that, or you can start your editing business or your you know CSA for lettuce or whatever it is you want to do. And and that's what I mean is if if you haven't made the jump already or you haven't built your life so that you you can take control of your income while following your purpose, that doesn't mean go quit your job tomorrow. But if you haven't started taking those steps, this is the wake up call. It's time to start taking those steps as quickly as you can uh, just so you don't end up, you know, 10 years from now and all jobs are gone. Well, yeah, and I think that like that's really lit a fire into a lot of people's ass, and it shouldn't. I mean, to kind of drive that point home you just made, the first week that it became apparent that, okay, we're going to do this, because I, I stay, stand by my original statement. This is a colossal overreaction. The, the death rate is not what it looks like, and we should have never reacted to this. And I said that in February. But by mid-March, it became evident, oh, we're going to do this. We're going to do it, yeah. That first week, I went into emergency mode. I had John Pugliano on to talk about protecting your money. I had you on to talk about um, getting your side hustle on. I had Doc on to talk about how to protect yourself from the virus itself. Those are the first three shows I did when this all really got to the point, oh, we're going to do this. And so two-thirds of that had to do with protecting your income and building your life. And only one-third of that had to do with here's the – because I knew, also knew we, we didn't know that much about – the virus yet. Right. And I'll say in the Absolutely. beginning, I was big on, hey, you know, if you have if you have N95 masks, you probably want to use that and you probably want to avoid going out. And once we got more data, then it's like, okay, so we have a really bad cold that kills old people and some people. Yeah. It, it doesn't sound like it's fun to get a bad case of this. I've known several people who have gotten it. I've known one person who died from it. Um, and you don't want to get it if you can't, if, if you can avoid it, but it's a virus. And so building up your immune system as best you can, I think, is the best track to take. You know, one of the things I started getting into this winter, Jack, was building, uh, growing lettuce with Cracky. Mm -hmm. So I had that system all in place. And then we weren't supposed to go to the store anymore. And when <laughs> and you thought, could, isn't it interesting <laughs> that one of the first things that disappeared was fresh greens? Like nobody yeah, eats salad gone. and all of a sudden everybody eats salad. It was like... It was like the next thing people went, like they went to water and toilet paper, and then I guess they wanted salad. Lettuce. Or or maybe they weren't getting it from California. I mean, I think it might be also paired with, like, the shipping and transport and storage. Salad goes bad really fast. So, you know, I had fresh salads every day for three people coming off of trays with, with water in them. And, 
and, and that was not because I think everybody should grow all their food all the time from home and never go out and buy stuff. It was because I, I need downtime. And one of the things that gives me peace is growing plants. <laughs> so I was growing food plants this winter, and it was perfect timing. Well, and it's a high ROI in the best of times, and it's an infinite yeah. ROI when you can't get it, right? Because so lettuces and greens need the least amount of light, and they need the least amount of fertilizer. And I don't know about you, but I've gotten like, you know, there's three quarters of the, or a quarter of the amount of fertilizer left in this one. I just reuse it. Mm -hmm. I, I just reuse You can't reuse it. Well, I did. You can re You just get yourself a, a way to measure it, an yeah. EC meter, and yeah. then yeah. I just, yeah, I do the same add thing. Add it to it, and then I add it enough to bring the solids back up, and I stuck another one in it, grew, and <laughs> freaking fertilizer police did not come get me. No, and plant the salt grew, did not kill the plant. Right, it all it all lived, and eventually you do you dump it in, you go on, and you you restart. But like, so it was a high ROI, and it, it ties in with one of my lessons, and that is that pe what disappears first is not what you would generally think of. Yeah, like preppers have shunned the deep freezer forever. Because when the zombies come, man, when the zombies come, and it's going to be no grid, and you ain't going to be able to keep that thing because it's going to be gone, and you're not going, everything's going to melt, and you like, you know, I don't think the zombies are actually coming. I'm, we throw that word out there at times. I think you're taking it a little too literal, and you know, a little two hundred dollar generator and like sixty gallons of gas, and I can run my chest freezers for. Months, yeah, right. So, and, like, and you're eating out of them at that point. So, right, yeah. So they're going down, and if this one gets empty, I stop running that one because, gee, I don't need to. And then, yeah. you know, the other thing is like, what disappears is not what you'd expect. So, salad greens vanished. Like, you went into a grocery store, and like, it was gone. But what else vanished? Deep freezers. <laughs> deep freezers yep. for a totally different reason. Everybody thinks everybody ran out and bought a deep freezer. No, they didn't. Some more did, but. What got hit hard? Manufacturing. We yep. actually make deep freezers in North America. They're one of the things that we don't get all of them from. And we get a bunch from China, too. We also get a bunch of components from China. for the, So the whole supply chain issue hit that, and it only took a very small amount of additional pressure, and boom, they were gone. Then the meat disappeared, mostly. And then everybody that got a deep freezer filled it, and everybody that had their little tiny freezer filled it. And then all of a sudden the meat came back. Because nobody knows how to can or dry meat anymore, so once the freezer's full, what do you do? And now that the stores are more comfortable to go to, people are not using the stuff they stored, and they're getting new stuff at the store every week again. Yeah, and they're leaving the other, that other stuff just sit there instead of rotating their stock, right? They're not right. doing that. Right. Which is insane to me as well. But yeah, what disappears first is not what you think of, and it goes to you know, toilet paper and water. Like, the water during a pandemic is not what I would have ever... Like, during a hurricane, sure. Like, you used to get a filter, but let's be honest, the average person usually just drinks the water out of their sink every day without a filter. Mm -hmm. so that same person was running to Costco and buying four, bottle, four cases of bottled water with no idea why. If you had actually asked them why, they, I, I can promise you the average person would not have had an answer. That made any sense. That might have been a fun video to make. It's too late, isn't it? That would have been really it interesting because now they would have time to think about it or claim they didn't do it. <laughs> but the person with like, okay, you're in a grocery store. Yes, okay. But water's heavy and bulky, right? Yeah, your whole cart is full of water. Yeah, okay. So 
food. Spot. How many calories is yeah. in that water? Yeah, food. You see all the other people with the food? Yeah, I see them. Okay. So you have water. Where's your toilet paper? They're out. Okay. So that's why you get the water. Uh, you have no food. I, I don't have room. I get the water. Okay. Do you have a sink at home? And does water come out of your sink? And I would have loved to seen the face of that person. Yeah. Right? At that point, doing, like, you know that, that, that gif with the blonde chick with the math going in the background? You know what I'm talking about? It's like all this yeah, complex, like, geometry and shit going on. Like, that would be, like, <laughs> wait a minute. What am I doing? And, it, yeah, like, okay, so you have an unlimited supply of water. And you know that person was going home, drinking that water, and throwing the bottles away. Yeah. And yeah. that's... That's just filling a landfill with plastic right there. Yeah. Uh, and so, yeah, it was a lot of things have gone short that you would not normally think would go short. Um, staples went short really fast as far as, like, beans and flour and shit like that. And that was yeah. another thing that was, like, most of you people don't even know how to cook dry beans. Don't you think there's somebody sitting at home right now looking at a cabinet full of dry beans still doesn't know how to cook them? In fact, that would be a great YouTube series we could do, Jack, even though I don't think you eat beans. Neither do I. But how to? Yeah, like five, like a 10-video series, 10 different way to cook dry beans that taste good. Yeah, because there's, I do like them. I just, it's too much carbs I, for me now, right? But Oh, I can't eat them. But, <laughs> but yeah, they yeah. taste good. I mean, there's so many different ways you can use them, but I think the average person has never seen a dry bean get cooked. Or their grandmother did it, but they don't remember how. Yeah. You gotta soak them and stuff. You know, or you tell, you could do a quick soak. What's that? You know, like they, they wouldn't know. And they, or they bought flour. Like everybody started buying flour. And I'm like, yeah, the, do you the, know but how no to yeast. bake? Do you know how to bake? <laughs> well, at least yep. you can make tortillas or flatbread or roti or something, you know, but they don't know how to do anything with it. Like you're buying all this stuff and you don't know how it, how to use it. Uh, whole grain disappeared. Now that was mostly preppers. Mm-hmm. They started like hit honey mill and all that up, and they bought all the grain. I was getting emails. Oh, there's no more wheat berries, you know, or whatever. Like, did you try to feed store? Oh, and the people went down to and they, like, you could get all you wanted. There was actually not a shortage, but it's not food grade. It's 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 wheat. It's wheat. It's all the same. Oh, and then like you know, my, I don't have a feed store. Did you check homebrew stores? Oh, and like you could, get, you want a fifty pound sack of freaking barley from a home fruit? There it is. Done. You want yeah. to pay sixty bucks in shipping? Go ahead, and maybe you don't need it, but like things disappeared that weren't even actually in short supply. Now I didn't put this out publicly because I didn't want to make matters worse for the people that could figure this out. But it was interesting that like even when things disappeared, you could still get it if you just thought a little bit differently. And it was yeah. wasn't it interesting how. The first place things disappeared would be probably the worst places to shop during a crisis like Costco and Walmart and um, Sam's Club. Oh, yeah. You could go to Aldi and buy toilet paper almost the whole time here. And everybody else is out. It was not the same here, but it was longer. Like you could get it at Albertsons and stuff like that for a lot longer than you could. Like Costco, Sam's Club, Walmart were gone in a day as soon as it started. Mm-hmm. And then you could go to, you know, Albertsons, and they might be a little lower or whatever. But through most of it, there was about a three-week period. If you didn't have any, um, I don't know, you're using leaves or a, you know, home home engineered bidet or something. It was gone for about three weeks. But it went last at the smaller stores, and so did everything else. Well, and the funny thing is that before paper towels or toilet paper existed, we cleaned up messes and wiped our butts. 
Like mm-hmm. we figured it out. So as as far as the things you could be out of that are necessary for your existence, <laughs> but I, I actually don't. I mean, I don't like running out of toilet paper. Don't get me wrong, but no. that's like the least of my work. I, if I have food, I'd, if I have to choose between food or TP, I'm, food's all the way. I want my food and my water. Yeah. So yeah. that that was the other thing is people were, like had no idea what they'd do if they couldn't wipe their butt with paper. Yeah. Well, do you have washcloths? Oh, that's gross. So I'm like, well, I mean, did you change your baby's diaper? That was gross too, but it is what it is. <laughs> like, deal with it. Yeah. Um, there's there's even a lot of plants. You use lamb's ear. I'm trying to yeah. think of the other one now. There's a plant. Mullen. That's it, mullet. Yeah. Mullet's probably better than Charmin. Yeah, it's nice and soft. You know, it, it is it is kind of interesting to me, yeah, that all the things that disappeared were things that you, you didn't necessarily need. Most of the things I should say disappeared were things people didn't necessarily need. But what I think happened, you know, you started coming to my workshops and running your own after we figured this out. But when we first mm-hmm. started doing our workshops, we did everything buffet style. Like yeah. we just put out the food and people came and took it. And after like a couple workshops doing that, we're like, no, no. Because what would happen is you're watching the first people go through the line throw away plates of half their food left. And the last people in line getting scraps. Yeah. And all it was is as soon as the first guy came through and was hungry and started piling it on, everybody started competing with each other. And so now we feed everybody a, a relatively small first portion, and then we say, go get all you want, and there's always food left. Yep, same. You and I, t- I took out. that from you. I went to your workshop before I ever did that kind of workshop, and that was probably the most important takeaway I got from your workshop for my workshop was serve the people first and then let them go. And, and then, then you're you like begging them. Come on, guys. You know, but, <laughs> but if you don't do that, and that's exactly what happened to the supply chain. People came in. They saw a guy putting two bottles of water in their, their cart, and he was the guy was going to get a case and went, shit, I better get two. Yeah. And somebody or saw four. That, shit, I better get four, right? And then yeah. all of a sudden, it just, if you think about it, it's bulky. Even when fully stocked, there's not that many cases of bottled water in an aisle compared to the number of people that walk through the door of that store every day. So it was the thing that people didn't know what to do. It's what they always get in a disaster, even though that wasn't the kind of disaster we were dealing with. And then it was an item that is actually really easy to create a shortage in. And it's an item that's complete. like, the paper's one thing. The water, there's, there's no need for the average person to have any bottled water from the store ever in their life, ever, infinity. Right, other than they like how it tastes, and that's not a need. Yeah, and then then, then what happens, right? So now, oh, my God, we're out of water. <laughs> oh, my God, they're out of water at the store. We better get everything. So then everybody goes to get everything at once. And I don't know, I added shit to my butcher box <clears throat> and went on with my life. Like I, My big takeaway from all of this was, if you're actually prepared, this was a cakewalk. This wasn't even hard. This was, no. this is, and it makes me like fear, like if we ever actually, like people think they know what a pandemic is now. It's like, we are so freaking screwed if we get a real, a real one, like a Spanish flu that they keep comparing it to pandemic where people are literally are dying in the streets. Lots of people will die if we have a pandemic based on what I saw here. Yeah. Like more than need to way more than need to. <laughs> Mm-hmm. way more than need to and and my fear is that sooner or later we will have something like that and you're going to have two groups the people that think oh it's not that big a deal it's just like last time and you're going to yep. have the people that are like oh bullshit 
they won't believe it because this was so much bullshit, right? Mm -hmm. And I'm not saying this isn't real or there's nobody dying, but like the only reason anybody will accept this being called a deadly pandemic is they haven't seen one. Like if your great-grandparents were around here, they would be out just beating people's ass right now in the street. <laughs> no, they would. Like my grandfather would be out with a cane just beating the shit out of people. Like you can't do – like what you, what's wrong with you? Get back to work, you bum. I mean I could hear him. In my, my head I could hear his voice. Get, we left through measles and smallpox. Get polio. <laughs> get back to work. Yeah. I'll cripple you like a, like a kid in a chair. Go. You know what I mean? Like that's how he would have been. He was a tough old coal miner. He lived with black lung for 50 years. And smoking camel cigarettes with no filters. Like, that's the generation we came from. And they went through pandemics, and maybe that's why they were so hardened. Like, they just accepted that life came with risks. I don't know. Well, I think if you have lived through calamity multiple times, you have a different attitude if you made it through. Yeah. You, you don't, I mean, the people who just give up or become hopeless don't make it through stuff like that. Or if they do, it's not very many. The ones who make it through are the ones who are like, screw this, I'm going to take responsibility and move on. Yeah. Because that's all I can do. How would you feel about this bullet point that I have on my notes? Many preppers are not prepared at all. Absolutely true. Did you get that out of this? Like, I had people freaking out, and I'm like, and I mean people that I know have been listening to me for 10 years. Yeah. Like, they just... You talk about it, but you don't do it. Like, there are the people that keep telling you you need to put smoke alarms in your house, and there's, like, smoke coming out of their bedroom window while they're telling right. you about, like, I, I, I just saw, or what they're prepared for is disconnected from reality. Like, they're prepared for Red Dawn. And, but they're not even prepared for that. They think they are, because they have guns and their tactical shit and all that. And it's like, Do you know, even if that does happen, you're going to have to eat? And you get that stupid statement, I'll just take what I need. From who? Starving people that have no food either? Yeah, the, the grocery stores are going to be out of food in, in days if yeah. things really do shut down. Yeah. Yeah, so and, who are you going to take food from? Yeah. No, I think that's right on. They're not prepared. And even those of us who've been doing it, right? Like, I thought I was pretty good. I found weaknesses in what we prepped for when the shutdowns happened, because we went six or eight weeks without any resupply. Um, and, you know, I the fuel storage wasn't topped off. Uh, my animal feed, my animals require feed from off my homestead. Mine too. At, at this time. And if that had actually had any meaningful disruption, which luckily it didn't, I would have been facing some hard choices here about what to feed animals or who to call. As soon as this looked like it might, was even before it did, as as it, like it might go this way, we did the math and I bought 90 days worth of it. We had, we had probably a month and a half to two months at any given time. I yeah. bought another three months worth of food for everybody. For the dogs, yeah. the cats, the ducks, the chickens, the fish. And I just called the feed store. I did it in one fail swoop and had it delivered. Gave the guy a $20 tip. That was before they showed up with masks on. Um, And, and just went, okay, nah, we don't have to worry about this. Yeah. And, and, but that was even like to us, like, hey, yeah, maybe we need to think about this a little more. Maybe we need to add some more galvanized trash cans so that we can, like, have this and protect it from rats. And, like, yeah, we, we figured out some things we were not fully up to speed on, but we didn't freak out ever because the things we really needed 
Like, if it came down to it, I'm out of duck food, I guess we're eating duck. Right. You're eating duck or your ducks are eating something else. Like, if I'm out of dog food, my dogs are going to get that liver that's sitting in the... Mm-hmm. in and, and they're probably going to stay outside based on your liver story. Yeah, but that's <laughs> a side note, but don't be careful feeding dogs liver, guys. I just, yeah, or... Or eggs from the ducks. Like, there are yeah. things you can feed your animals, but it's, you know, not how we feed ours. I use dog food. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. There's And, that you know, that's a case for having backyard livestock, but being able to take care of them. Because, yeah. like, eggs, like, eggs are, like, the cheapest commodity good there is. And I don't remember eggs ever fully disappearing, but... They got pretty scarce for a while around here in the, in the in the counters. You know, you'd go through and there'd be a couple cartons left. And I'm not buying a freaking egg. Are you kidding me? No. You know, I'm not no. buying an egg. You're, first of all, your eggs are shit compared to my eggs, but I'm not buying an egg. But we had customers that hadn't bought for us a while, like, oh, can we get some eggs? No, not, well, maybe, you know, like, let's see where you are in the line. And then all of the local food producers, not even local, I'd say all of the boutique food producers, drew, dried up really fast. Yeah. Like all the places you're paying like three times as much for a steak, but it's grass-fed or whatever. It was all gone. You know, I have a friend who supplies restaurants, farm-to-table vegetables yeah. here, and his business completely went to zero. Hmm. And, and it was because the restaurants were shut down. Sure. And then he started doing something else to make money, and he's like, I don't know if I'm going to start that again when I can, because that was a lot of work I was doing. This is more resilient. He's probably doing it Now I'm making, I don't know if, you know, it's like his choice, but that's the other thing, is some local producers just hit accelerate, started delivering direct to people, and have made that into a thing, right? I think they would have always preferred, yeah, some stopped. I think the ones that made the switch always would have preferred to sell to me and you than to a restaurant. But the restaurants yeah. bought consistently and had money. Mm-hmm. I think that everybody would prefer... I know as a local producer, when I was doing commercial eggs with ducks, we had restaurants because they were reliable, large business. But when you lost one, it hurt. Mm-hmm. And there was always some bullshit you had to deal with. You know, they'd make a menu change. and like We had one restaurant we lost, and they're like, well... You know, because you won't deliver, uh, we have to pay $4 a dozen extra to have them picked up and delivered. And that is putting us out of the price point. So we're just going to take the dish off the menu. And it was a sweet potato duck confit with an egg on it. And mm-hmm. it was like fourteen ninety five. And it's And they sold out every, we were selling them like 40 dozen a week. Yeah. And they were selling out every week. And they and couldn't go fifteen ninety five. Exactly. Like, what are you? Th- <laughs> okay, you're you're like you're in Yuppieville, Plano. Okay, like anybody that walks in is like, yeah, I'll, I'll get that. And I, and what happened? We ended up scaling down. They took it off the menu. Then they came crying back because all their customers were like, what the hell? Yeah. What? Where is it? And they realized, oh shit, they'll pay a dollar more. They don't give a shit. They could they could absorb the entire cost of the egg in that dish with the price raise. But they had this lock set in their mind. Like, you don't deal that with a customer. We raised our price on eggs since this shit started. No one complains. No one's going to drive here for $8 a dozen won't do it for 10 Right. Right? I mean, and I don't want you if you won't. And yeah, I think and so you certainly of, don't want to deliver, so. <laughs> yeah, I think a lot of cherry-picking of customers just happened. 
right? I mean, I think a lot of people have just started to cherry pick their customers because all of a sudden they had the ability to. Yeah. And I don't know that I don't know that those people will ever go back to it. A lot of them will ever go back to the old market style. As long as those customers, why would I? Why would I sell for less to people who don't appreciate me as much that I don't really know? When I can sell to people I do know that appreciate me and pay me more money. Yeah. And I know farmers who have stopped going to the farmer's market don't want to go back. They never wanted to be there to begin oh, with. Oh, it sucks. It sucks. It's, it's a miserable experience. Standing there all day and trying to sell somebody a box, you know, a box of tomatoes. It's like, well, why is it this much? Get out of here. <laughs> <laughs> I have a slightly more polite answer to that. But. <laughs> Get out of here. <laughs> It, it boils down. When I was selling eggs at the farmer's market, there were other egg vendors at the farmer's market, and mine were the most expensive eggs. Yeah. And they'd be like, well, those other ones are $1.50 a dozen. You should go buy those. And I was like, I sell out every week. Yeah. My response would have been, you should go buy those. Yeah. At Aldi, they're $0.49 cents a dozen. Go yeah. to Aldi. Yeah. You should go buy them. You should yeah. go buy them. There was, I, I had a friend that worked selling radios and stuff like that, and he worked for this guy that ran the store. It was like this little old Oriental guy, and a guy came in one day with an advertisement for some radio that he was selling for $20 more a unit. And mm-hmm. the guy finally gets pissed off. You know, he's kind of broken English. He goes, you want this? And he circles it with a marker. You go here. And he po- puts the arrow from it to the logo on the thing and hands it back to him. Their door, right? <laughs> it's like, bye. <laughs> yep. That makes sense. Okay, so here's another bullet point okay. for mine. How? What is your impression of the prepper reaction to people reaching out and, and, and realizing they needed to store food? What do you think about that? Did you see much of that going on? In other words, preppers, are preppers doing the I told you so or let me help you now? Is that what you're the, asking? The I told you so. I saw a lot of ridicule and I told you so. I when saw this a lot first of that, started. too. I saw yeah. a lot of that, too. And I have to say, on some levels, I understand a little bit. Yeah. Because these were the same people calling you crazy for the last 10 years. I don't agree with it, but I understand it. Like, because I've heard, you know, my family always said stuff like that. Like, you know, you're kind of a little batty there. And I have some family members that were like, you know, I don't think you'd be doing this if you didn't have a business out of it. It's like, well, I started Mm -hmm. the business because I was doing it. I didn't do it, but I saw a lot of it, and even though I don't think it's the right approach, I totally get it. Uh, I have to admit, I did it behind their backs over cocktails <laughs> in the evenings sometimes. Like, I can't I believe... I didn't do it behind their backs. <laughs> but, yeah. <clears throat> there is... What is fi- Go ahead. It's, I'm trying to think of... There's like a... There's a fairy tale that sums this up, and I can't think of what it is. But it's, Ooh, it, I, it, you know, it's along the lines of Noah's Ark, too. Oh, the grasshopper, right? The grasshopper yeah. and the ant. grasshopper and the ant. Ah, sorry. Right? <laughs> the original story, the grasshopper dies. You know, the, the new story they told is the grasshopper went in the ant's house and he fed him and then he learned and whatever. But They come in my house, they're getting rice and beans. Yeah, yeah. The, the real story would be like when the grasshopper shows up at the ant's den and says, hey, I, I need food. Really? Come on in. <laughs> and he's he's chomped up, right? Because ants eat grasshoppers. Right? Yeah. I mean, and so, yeah, there was some of that. I, I've i tried to help people, but I also did a lot of interviews right when this all started. And, mm-hmm. like, you know, they always do the whole, give us five things people can do to start preparing. And it's like, 
well, start. Well, you should have done that. Because, like, you know what I'm going to say with food storage, with copy canning and all that. Mm -hmm. and, that and, like, now you can start doing it. But when I was yeah. being asked that in March, it's like, right now you got to get what you can get. Right now you got yeah. you got to deal with it. You got you, you should have done this like last month, last year, last decade. Like this was easy, and now it's hard. And it wasn't a nana nana nana, but it was a fundamental statement of reality. Yeah, I did a series where I started with what you can do now, which is not the ideal. And I said it's not the ideal, and then I went back to okay, now that you've done that, this is how because I love your copy canning concept. Yeah. Um, This is how this is how moving forward you can go so that you're never in this situation before. But, you know, people at that time just needed to know how to figure out what to buy. And they had no idea where to start. No idea. And you know, like I, it, it's always astounding to me that people don't know what they use or eat. Yeah, um, no idea. But that is the reality. And once you realize that and they're reaching out for help, making fun of them doesn't help them solve that problem and in fact is more likely to push them away from you and more dependent on a government system which we don't want right well so and this this is pretty mild as a globe this is about the most mild global disaster you'll ever see because it is global in scope uh yeah. it's certainly the biggest self-inflicted wound in history but it's still fairly mild compared to what you might be dealing with by the middle of next year after covid's gone from all the shit we did now and those people you're mocking You might want to turn them into allies right now. Really. Right. Really might be a good idea to create as many allies as you can right now. Um, I think part of the smugness is the average prepper that does feel okay in all this feels like, well, let them learn their lesson in this one. Because they also, I think by the time that really started, we had kind of gotten to the point where like, you know what, we're going to be, in general, we're going to be okay in this. We, we, we didn't know yeah. what it was in the beginning. This could have been something with a 15% death rate. Right. And then, you, and not a case fatality rate, an infection fatality rate. Those are very different. Right. And if we had had that right now, there'd be 5 million people dead in this country. Mm-hmm. And the world would look entirely different. And, yeah, so I think when people realize that wasn't the case, they're like, We'll let them sweat. And I, I don't know that that's a really good idea. No. And, I mean, the funny thing is even the shortages were nothing of the scale you would get after a hurricane. No. Right? No. That that was the other thing is, like, yeah, you had shortages, but after Harvey, shortage, like, shortages went on for a while and were stark. Well, and the only thing um, that you could get was the vegan stuff. Did you see the picture? <laughs> no. Oh, yeah, I guess picture? I did was see it, that. It was like a grocery store just outside yeah. of the floodplain. In Houston, where you could actually still get to. And there was yeah. literally the whole produce section, everything. There was nothing. And the, you know that vegan places you have to you have to refrigerate. The tofu section? Yeah. Yeah. It was full. It was full. There was like one freaking vegan hot dog thing taken out. And like it was like somebody put something like, you know, eat vegan or starve, Texans, see you in hell. <laughs> right? I mean, <laughs> and you're sitting there going, Who 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 buys this if it doesn't disappear during like how much of this are you turning over you know but yeah it was uh, it was not that bad and I think it's because it was so spread out and we had time to yeah. react to it right like supply and I think another right. thing happened since they closed the restaurants a lot of that supply chain it took a week or two but it got dumped into the the retail chain because yeah people figured Cisco it out if they could. 
Yeah, like if you're Cisco or somebody, you're not going to throw all that shit away. Right? You're going to be like, hey, wait a minute. Publix is out of freaking chickens? Hey, we got chickens. Put it in a different yep. bag. Send it to Publix, right? Let's get some money for it. Well, the other thing they did is they had case sales at places like that. So oh, they yeah. put out on social, like, you can come get a case of chicken. And there would be lines of cars waiting for cases of chicken yeah, at 49 cents a pound or whatever. Like yeah, there's super a cheap. restaurant place here. You have to have, you know, a restaurant or a farm and corporate paperwork or whatever to buy from it to get a membership. And they did the same thing, open to the public next Friday for, you know, 10 hours or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, no reason not to if you're not selling it to restaurants. Yeah, we got a we got a we got a reefer van in the back waiting to unload, and all our coolers are full. <laughs> yeah, problem. Yeah, solution. Money. Buy the shit and go. You know, and that. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, like this really was about as good as it gets. I mean, I look at this, and then I, you know that that BBC series Wartime Farm. Yeah. And I'm like, man, maybe y'all should have been watching this instead of Road Warrior or whatever during the pandemic. To learn what a shortage looks like. That was a shortage. Yeah. You remember the rationing in there where they showed like how much fat a family of four got for a week? Yes. And it was like two ounces of fat for the whole week. And people were like, ah, you don't need that much fat or whatever. No, this was all your fat. This was your oil. Your, you know, like if you're making bread, like that was it for a whole family. Yep. And you're rationing when you're rationing butter. Yeah, I mean you. You are in the world of rationing. And then they, they did a little bit about what Germany went through, and they were showing how they made one of the loaves of bread, this loaf that they used to make out of, like, partially out of sawdust. Yeah, the sawdust loaf. And I think that girl, Ruth, that kind of put the whole thing together, she said, when you're rationing wheat, you're in trouble. Yeah. You're in trouble. And that's, that's where Germany was by the end of the war. So Yep. That's what starvation looks like. Because <laughs> hasn't it been interesting to you that they've tried to convince this generation that they're the World War II generation of modern times? Like staying yeah. at home and binging Netflix makes you a hero or something? I I guess it's just to make you feel good so you do, do what they say. But, wow. Yeah, we didn't actually see hardship yet. I think, no. I think the people who are hit the hardest, as you know, are the low, lowest incomes because if their job went away, it's also harder to have a cushion built up. Yeah. Um, and there, it's. I'm not saying there's no hardship, but by and large, if you were middle class going into this, you're still middle class and you were not hungry one time. No, no. And I'll tell you the other thing, too, is even it's a very small number of people who are low income, lost their job, and didn't get unemployment plus the extra unemployment. It's a very small number. And if you're one of those people, you might be mad at me right now. I'm not discounting you. I'm no. talking about 330 million Americans, and the average person, their life has not really been altered other than they can't go do the fun stuff they want to do. And that's, and then that has now become, it makes us equivalent to our grandparents and great-grandparents who lived through the Great Depression in our no. minds. And that is, that is a huge recipe for... Error, in my opinion, because I think by this time next year, we're going to be seeing the full consequences of what we've done. Yeah, we're starting to see in in my community the poverty impact mm. now, right? Mm. It's, 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 it's not good for some people already, and that's going to work its way up as more jobs don't come back and, you know, savings goes away. Well, and so, you're going to have the people that are good enough for themselves – are generally charitable, but now can't be. 
So I have enough right. to take care of me and mine, but I got to give a lot less now. Mm -hmm. And early on, everybody was big on what can I give. When you start looking at your kids and you wonder, like, will I feed them next week? Not so much. And there's no, that's not a bad thing for you as the person making that decision. I don't fault. Like, you need to feed your kids before you worry right. about feeding mine. Right. I've always said that. You know, my other thing with this, Nicole, and we kind of, you kind of started out there, but in all things, I think you're on your own when it comes to figuring out the truth. Like, you know, the protocol I've given, and I'm not going to do it again today, but for nutritional protection against this thing. And that, that data is there, and it's so obvious. We should have, there, to me, if I were president, I would put out a national edict take Quisertin, take zinc, take D3. Like, I'm not saying it does work. I'm saying it probably does work and it can't hurt, and we should try this. Right. You haven't heard a single person on television tell you that. Not one. No. No. Not one. I mean, not a single person. And what was done with hydroxychloroquine was, was sinful. I mean, if we, if we table whether it works or not for a minute, the concept that it's not safe is, is literally the dumbest thing I've ever heard anybody say with a straight face in my life. You got something that's been used for 70 years. People with rheumatoid arthritis and lupus take it. People with all types of other conditions take it. VA uses 67,000 doses of it on an outpatient day, a day outpatient uh, uh, method a day. So Veteran Affairs doles out 67,000 pills a day to outpatients. And you got anchors telling you with a straight face it should only be used in a hospital. And people believing yeah. it. And that is like... Again, I don't. Let's say you don't believe hydroxychloroquine does a damn thing. That's still ridiculous. Like, and anybody believe, and most people do think it's dangerous. It's odd, and it's like no amount of evidence can move them from that position. No. Like, and okay, well, I don't think lupus, anybody wants to. Yeah, when it gets when you get lupus, it's safe to take. Like those that that doctor video that caused all the takedowns. Yeah. They knew that that woman had at some point in her life said that evil demons caused ovarian yes. cancer. Yes. That tells me they didn't actually want to convince anybody of anything. If no. they allowed her to be there. Been, she should have never been part of it. Because that's the only thing anybody can tell you now. That that just helped further the narrative that hydroxychloroquine is poison. It was a counter hit. And I, I did everything I could to share what they were doing. And then once that came out, I'm like, oh, it's a counter hit. Mm -hmm. It was a counter hit. I believe those people are as corrupt Or they were corrupted. In other words, yeah. somebody got her in there on purpose. Right. And I don't even think what she's saying is incorrect about the medication. But as soon as you hear that she's telling people, you know, that they're being impregnated with demon sperm or whatever, and it's like, <laughs> you know, I just hope all of you saying this understand, if you're Christians, you sound that crazy to everybody else because you believe in demons. You just don't believe that they cause ovarian cancer. Right. And everybody that doesn't believe in demons thinks... Well, okay. But that doesn't mean you're not a good doctor. Right. It doesn't mean you're not a good doctor. But if you're a Christian, you believe in demons or... I don't know what Bible you're reading. Right? I mean, I I don't think you're supposed to pick and choose from your Bible. Right? I think you're supposed to read it and it's the inspired word of God. So you just believe different things about demons. And yet, we both know... When you have somebody making that kind of a radicalized statement, and then I don't know if you saw the follow-up interview or with her, interview with her, she did great. 
and they baited her with it at the end, and she went all in. Oh no! She was saying about I bet CNN. She, did. she said she was if she was at CNN within forty five minutes, she would have their executives rolling on the floor with demons coming out of them. Yeah. And it's like you got to be kidding me because th 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 that looked like a counter hit, and that was so my 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 niece and nephew, my niece in law, and my nephew. Um, that's all they that's all they took away from it. She believes in demon sperm. Mm -hmm. Okay, that doesn't have anything to do with hydroxychloroquine. At all. Certainly doesn't have anything to do with whether or not it's safe. And I have to say, I learned some things from her that I didn't even know. And I, as you know, I've gone deep into this topic. Yeah. yeah. Right? Probably deeper than the average. I, I, get, I still have my challenge out. I'll take any doctor or scientist on in a debate on hydroxychloroquine. And not a single one will, will step up. Not a single one. So, but I still learn things I didn't know. about the, Like, that's right. That, she's the one I learned about overdosing from. Mm -hmm. And I was like, you Dumbass, you should have looked for that. And as soon as I started looking at the studies, I'm like, holy shit. Because a toxic dose of hydroxychloroquine is about five grams. Right. So they were given in one study, they gave people 800 milligrams a day for 10 days, which is eight grams. And they said, but it's per day. But hydroxychloroquine is not like your typical medication. It's persistent in the body. Mm -hmm. It builds up. Like if you take aspirin a day and they test you for aspirin tomorrow, you'll have like almost no aspirin in your body. But if you take hydroxychloroquine, it concentrates in the lungs. So when I started looking, there was one they were giving 1.2 grams a day. 1.2 grams a day and a toxic, and that was not hydroxychloroquine, that was chloroquine. Mm -hmm. And a toxic, considered like one dose toxic, like kill you, is four to five grams. They did that in Brazil. They did this, their high high dosage group was so high they had to cancel the study because they not only did they kill people, they were obviously killing people. And then they mm -hmm. used that as evidence that it didn't work. So like, none of this makes any sense when you're supposed to be giving people 200 200 milligrams a day for four days, mm -hmm. or for preventive is 200 milligrams every 14 days. Right. So you take 200 milligrams, you take nothing. 14 days later, you take 200 more. Same thing I took in Honduras. For malaria. My only side effect was I didn't get malaria. Well, that was a positive side effect. Yeah. Just, you know, and somehow <laughs> it, was, it was totally safe for me and 535 other people who were on this deployment to take it every two weeks. Wasn't under a doctor. We didn't even have a doctor. We had a medic. Right? Mm -hmm. He was like a warrant officer. And he'd come out every, you know, to formation and pass pills out. Everybody take one. And, and somehow that was completely safe. And now it's dangerous. And so, like... There's so much you can do to help protect yourself, and nobody is really talking about it. But it's not hard to find. And I think that's the case with, like, it wasn't hard for me to figure out that you could get grain from a homebrew store. But nobody was talking about it. And I think right. you have to go on your own at a, a large degree, and then that's where the value of a group comes in. Because I wasn't about to go out and tell a quarter million people, hey, go to you know Midwest Homebrewing and you can get all the grain you want. Because the next day you wouldn't be able to. But people in my network, there was a lot of people, like I told about Webstaurant Store, Webstaurant. Yes. And like, hey, you can go there and you can get number 10 cans and you can get all this shit and I'll ship it to your house. But I didn't tell a quarter million people because I didn't want to ruin it. And I was also at a point where you can feed yourself if you want to. Yeah, I ended up grinding wheat and shipping it to my mom in California because they couldn't get flour out there. Crazy. And you couldn't buy a wheat grinder for a decent price. I don't know if you no. can now, but at the time, it, you know, like that stuff was all gone too. 
Yeah, and your Mr. Coffee Grinder won't do that one. I don't know. No, 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 no. So my other nope. thing was that, like the medic. We, I don't want to dig, beat up on this. We just did again. We've done it like three times now. Because, <laughs> uh, but but you can't trust the medical or the scientific community at all. No, it can't be trusted. It, 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 and I, it, again, I'm back to my gangrene wound. I knew that, but even I was like, "Holy shit!" Because when this started, I knew about the the track record of, of HCQ. And I'm like, well, they're going to use that. And I was out talking about it before it was on TV, before Trump said a word about it. And people were like, you know, you don't know what you're talking about. You're not a doctor. And then it came out. And I'm like, holy shit, how'd you know that? I'm like, because it's old science. And then to watch the apparatus go into destroying that was insane. And then, you know, the, the there's another one out now, uh, a guy using in Texas. He's using inhaled in cortical steroids. Mm -hmm. And when I listened to his explanation, he was like, Well, this stuff's three dollars a dose. I'd use it all the time. I use it with people with all kinds of conditions. It's considered safe. And I started asking myself a question when I had patients with COVID that couldn't breathe. What do I do when a patient can't breathe? Well, I use this because then they can breathe. Right. Well, that makes sense. Right. So he starts using it, and immediately the establishment mfs him. And you're like. You, you got to be kidding me that an average doctor wouldn't just hear that and go, well. Oh, I'll give that a try. Why Why wouldn't you? Why wouldn't you? It's dangerous. It's not dangerous for the other 800 patients you have on it. How is it dangerous for this part patient? And the answer is they don't know, but I think doctors are a lot like teachers in that they are told what to do and they obey paperwork. And the reason they obey paperwork is, let's say you come to me, and I could save your life, and I don't, but I do everything by the book. Guess what? Am I losing my medical license? Nope. If I do, if I go off the book, and I treat you, and you die, even though I've done you no harm, I could lose my license. I could get sued. Yep. And that's the that is the problem. That is the problem. And then mm -hmm. the average doctor, like, if you're actually treating COVID right now, most doctors. You don't have time to do the shit that I do as far as research. You don't have time. Like, it, you notice that all of the people that are using the the off-label type treatments, they're all small family practice doctors because yep. they have time. They have time, and they're treating the patient when the patient needs treatment. Like, what we're doing now is we're telling people who are sick in high-risk groups, go home and come back if it gets worse. Right. That's what they're doing here. Yeah, that's what they're doing everywhere. That's yeah. standard of care. When you can't breathe, come back. Yeah. Well, now it's too late because you can't breathe. Yeah, let's put a ventilator on you. And we know that, like, if you go on a ventilator for more than a week, there, no matter why, there's a 50% chance you're going to die. So, out of the gate, this thing that we thought we needed to save everybody kills people. Mm-hmm. And it's a mixture. It's a mixture of the damage it does, and it's a mixture of how bad a person... Like, if you go on a ventilator, you clearly are in a... Serious situation, mm -hmm. right? And we use them for surgeries when a person has to be paralyzed or whatever. That's different. But when somebody's sick and goes on a ventilator, you flip a coin on whether they're going to live or die. Yeah. And that's the pa that's the patient we treat with the medication that we're supposed to be using early. And I just, I'm done. I don't trust anything the medical establishment says. When I started doing research on vitamin D, and I found out that, like, if you take... 800 IUs of vitamin D a day, which is like the maximum amount you're supposed to take, mm -hmm. and you do that for a year consistently, and you check your vitamin D levels, they will not move. 
Interesting. They will not go up one point. So how can that be a therapeutic dose for any, any person? How can that actually help? If you can't move the needle with that dose, how can you possibly say that's a limit? And Because so, they have to have a low limit to be safe. Well, it, what I, so I can tell you how it happened. What happened was we discovered vitamin D in the 20s. And we were in the middle of the Great Depression by the time they actually started figuring out what it did. They figured out they gave a little bit of it to kids. They didn't get rickets. They called it a vitamin. It's not a vitamin. It's a hormone. The fact that we can make it ourselves tells you it's not a vitamin. The reason they called it D is that at the time they only knew A, B, and C. So it became mm -hmm. D, right? So we have this thing that we're supposed to make in our own bodies using sunlight. And they figured out a little, like, so they looked at it like, you can overdose the shit out of somebody on vitamin A pretty easy. So you, vitamins are something you need a small amount of. So they figured out that the blood serum level that was dangerous was something like 300 nanoliters to the, to, 300 nanograms to the nanoliter or something like that. Mm -hmm. And they divided it by three arbitrarily to create a safety zone. And then World War II came and they just kind of forgot about it. And, nobody and that brings us to today. And, yeah, nobody did anything with it. So then they, they go out and they say, well, what percentage of people with severe COVID are deficient in vitamin D by our anemic standards? And the answer is over 80%. What percentage with mild to asymptomatic have sufficient vitamin D? And the answer is something like 90%. And causation and correlation don't always go together, but that is so overwhelming that people should be taking vitamin D and a minimum of 5,000 IUs. Which now the government has upped their, their safe limit to 4,000, which nobody right. makes. Right. But that's like you should use caution when you're doing that. And the doctor whose book I read has had people on 30,000 IUs a day for years and not had a single case of hypercalcemia, which is the, the main risk, which is too much calcium in the blood. Um, except for one, and the guy was like not altogether there, and he took double. He was taking 60. Mm -hmm. And as soon as they took him off it, he came right back down. And that's before they knew about K2, which goes with it. But, like, I, I'm giving you all this, and like I sound like a doctor here. And the, the reason I have to sound like a doctor is because I, it's incumbent upon me to find this stuff out because doctors won't tell me this. Doctors that's don't know this. They don't know it. Yeah. I and mean, I was told them, to go on say, vitamin D. Yeah, where's they, the study? They What didn't study? tell me about the K2 link to D when I was told to go on D. And I'm in the sun all the time, and my D levels were, like, so low that, I don't know. Because are you in the sun with enough of your skin exposed at the right time? Yeah, well, probably. Uh, my body stopped making vitamin D for some reason uh, the year I got pneumonia. And B was also low, Yeah. very low, like, off the charts low. And so then I started looking into it and discovered that when you pair K2 with D, it helps you absorb it. And within six months, I was fine. It also pushes the calcium back out of the blood because the D puts more calcium in the blood. The K pushes it out. Mm -hmm. But like we found out that like if you're doing the K2, D, D3 together and you start going to higher doses, what happens is you're taking too much K. It'll push too much calcium out of your blood and you can have arrhythmias. Oh, that's not good. And it, it seems like the MK4 versus the MK7 variant of the K2 is safer. Now, again, I'm sounding like a doctor here, but my question is, why the hell doesn't a doctor know this? How am I supposed to trust you when you don't know this most basic component to nutritional health? And it's not even nutritional health because the D being a hormone, it's endocrine system health. 
And you don't know this, and you're a doctor treating people, and there are thousands of Americans who you could make better, either cure or at least lessen their conditions, simply by adjusting their D3 levels that you don't even test for. And I knew, like if you would have said to me in 2018, Jack, can you trust the medical and scientific community? I would have said, no. Now I would say, here's the word some of you don't want to hear, jump ahead. Fuck no, right? That's where I'm at now, like... No, there's no way. You can't trust them at all, even a little bit. Even when they're right, you can't trust it. You have to verify it. Yep. And it's kind of funny when you find a doctor that you work well with and then they go away, how horrifying that is. Oh, yeah, because you know you're not getting <laughs> another one. It's like, oh, I'm going to have to go through like 10 more doctors to get, in, get one who will talk to me about nutrition as relates to my health and not just tell me to eat whole grains and, you know, whatever else they say. They say low-fat. That's yeah. what they say every time. Low fat. Eat low fat. Eat low fat. Mm -hmm. and it, I went keto and lost 20 pounds. There you go. <laughs> I, lost almost, I lost over 60 eating yep. exactly what they said not to eat, and I've maintained it. And, yeah, go low fat. And they have no idea why. And, and I'll say something like studies show or linked to cardiovascular disease or whatever. So if you're mm -hmm. not eating fat, where are you going to get most of your calories from if you live in America? Carbohydrates. You have a type 2 diabetic getting most of their calories from carbohydrates. That's a... There's another example. Can't trust a doctor. Not because they mean you harm, but because nope. they don't know. They don't know the right answer. They, they're programmed. See, my, my belief is we used to train physicians, or we used to teach physicians, now we train them. And there's a place for training a doctor. I think a surgeon should be trained, not taught. Right. They should be trained first and taught second, I guess is a way to put it. So there's a procedure for doing an appendectomy, and you need to be trained in that exact procedure And then you need to be taught what to do when it goes wrong because there's where you have to think on your feet. But let's start with the training. I don't think we should be doing that with doctors when it comes to prescribing medication because it, it negates an effective patient history. They don't the Doctors walk in, and it's not their fault, it's a system. They walk into an exam room backwards, right? Mm -hmm. Take this, and they're out the door. You're like, what the hell? You don't even, you, you've not even had a conversation with, and then when you do have a conversation, if you're remotely informed, now you're frustrated because they don't have any idea what you're talking about. And they spend all their time telling you you're wrong. And it's, it is frustrating. And it's, it, what's most frustrating to me is there are things that can be wrong with you that you will, as a patient, misdiagnose for yourself. In yep. fact, more often than not, and you need them for that. But, yeah. They, There's this disconnect between, well, you know, okay, you, now we've correctly identified this. Now what do we do about it? Yeah. I like to ask them where, where they want me to read about it because it's like, you know, I'm going to go Google this when I, yeah. I walk out of here. So if there is a source you prefer, let me know now. Yeah. And they usually will tell me. <laughs> so my other thing that I've taken out of this is the cities are on the edge of total collapse all the time. Mm -hmm. All the time. And I don't just mean, you know, the walls there, you know, James Rosalie Rawls type collapse, which we're kind of seeing some of that in like Portland and Seattle and, and what have you, Chicago. But I mean, yeah. in general, like they just are at the, they have pushed themselves to such a fictitious existence. And now people are bailing. I mean, people are just fleeing the cities. Yeah, and uh, they like the philosophy is just in time delivery of things. Yeah. Or 
you know, that the grocery stores use and all of that, that's necessary in a city for a city to work the way they're built right now yeah. with this push towards increased density and, and all of that. Well, the problem there is just in time means if there's any disruption at all, you, nothing's there. Out of time. Out of time. Exactly. And, and it's not just food, right? It's everything. And, and that's, that's, you know, scary because you could have a million dollars in a city and not be able to buy a loaf of bread. If you can't leave the city, now you're really in trouble. Mm. And, and I think people are starting to see the instability of that. Other people love living there and want to live like that. And that's fine. I think it's a choice, but I, I think people thought that cities were somehow a lot more stable than they are. I don't know where they thought all of their magic stuff was coming from to to support them, but they they somehow thought they were more more stable than they are or that it was worth doing because there's some efficiency we get from having all those people together working their jobs all in one place and, you know, able to walk to the corner grocer to get it. Well, you don't think about the truck that went from California to New York to deliver lettuce. That yeah. that has an impact, too. And you don't think about like the toxic sewage coming out of the city and what that does. It can't be absorbed by the land around it. So we have to do all these, these, you know, pump your sewage gyrations yeah. into the Hudson. No, yeah. uh, but no, you know, that, no, it's true. Yeah. And, and I think I'm hoping this will give people the opportunity to look at what, what that model that has been furthered really means from an environmental standpoint from a human flourishing standpoint and just from a stability standpoint, it doesn't mean cities have to go away, but maybe we need to think about them differently. How many do we need and how, how big do they need to be? Yeah. And we, how we close do people need to be? small ones and, and, and less right. giant ones. Right. And does the city need to have 87 suburbs attached to it? Exactly. I mean, that's the thing. You look at a city like Dallas and it's, it, it's a big city, but really it's not. When you look at the actual, like, where does the city of Dallas's borders land, it's not right. that big. And it's bigger than a lot of cities that have a higher population, right? It's actually fairly large geographically, but overall it's not that big. But it's, right. it's the 18 primary suburbs or more, I can't tell you off the top of my head all of them, that are attached to it. Carrollton, Farmers Branch, Louisville, you know, I mean, like, Oaklawn, all these places that have thousands and tens of thousands and hundreds of thousands and even millions of more people that are only there because Dallas is there. Right. You take away Dallas, all of that would go away. And it seems to me that right now people are fleeing cities. And I know you've been getting some hatred, too. We've even talked about maybe doing an episode where we just smack down the anti-city hatred because yep. we, we're getting, we're both getting it. You're like, yeah, I can't believe how how you guys are just all down on cities and all. And I, I, you know, you say some people love it, and I'm sure some do, but I yeah. think a lot of that, a lot of that pushback when we tell the truth about cities, isn't from people who actually love it there. It's from people who don't see how they can leave, that feel compelled to defend it because they don't really feel they have another choice. Right. And I think yeah, you and do. I mean. And some people think it's better, right? They think environmentally, that's a big environmentally one. better. And, you know, I've, I've been in the free market world for so long that I've started reading studies and I don't see that that how you come to that conclusion. If you start digging deeper than the narrative of smart growth, 
the narrative of smart growth says that. And you can't like it's that this hopeful vision of how we can run everything without fossil fuels if we're all living close to each other and you can walk to your job and all of that. But it it does not take into consideration human nature. And then the reality is our technology is not there. Well, how many things do people value in the cities that are imported? Like most of it? Right. Yeah, almost all of it. It's it's rare. Like I lived by a brewery that actually brewed their own beer when I was in the city, and I loved it. I walked there and I go have a beer and a hamburger. But they had to import their inputs, right? They weren't farming them. That's fine. But like that is an unusual thing in a city. Usually, what you have coming is like a truck full of stuff that unloads the stuff, and then that's how you get the stuff. Well, even in your brewery example, they are importing. Like they're not growing their barley, and that barley is no. probably coming from somewhere in the Midwest. They're not growing their hops. Their hops are probably coming from Washington State, right? I mean, so if you have a microbrewery in Florida, the only thing that's probably being sourced locally is water. Mm-hmm. So, that, so even what you call local is not really local. And I don't necessarily think, like, I am a free market person. I am all for this exchange because it doesn't make sense to grow barley in, in, in Florida. It really doesn't. And it does right. make more sense to ship barley to Florida and make beer there than it makes to ship beer, which is mostly water, to Florida. Totally. Yeah. It's still, the like, the best you can do is often, from an environmental standpoint, it's not efficient. It's not efficient in any way, really. And no. when you look at, like, a garbage scowl leaving New York Harbor, come on. Where do you think it's going? Tennessee. <laughs> it's probably going to international waters to dump. Yeah, that's not good. 20 miles out and over the side. Uh, yeah, we took it to China. In the Atlantic? Really? You did. And what's that do to China anyway? Like, yeah. is that the right thing to do? Yeah. Yeah. Even if you are. How do you feel about this one? The greatest danger in a disaster is the response or lack thereof. Like, I, don't you think the biggest problem we have right now is all about how we responded to it? Yeah. In fact, I wish we hadn't. I think we'd be better <laughs> off if we hadn't. It done nothing. It, it's 100% the response. And, uh, you know, it does go back to people not understanding how science works. And, and they were sharing whatever findings they had as they had them. And people would get mad because last week you said this. And now this week you're saying, well, yeah, that's how the scientific process works. We're we're guessing. <laughs> They should call it the guessing process or something. So we understand that, you know, it's not conclusive because of one study or one hypothesis. And that's just put out there and not even proven yet. And and then our reaction was to comply with every little thing and to enforce. And it, it, it kind of showed me how far a lot of our population has gone from I'm just going to do the best I can for myself and my family to... I expect to be taken care of and I expect the answer. Like there is the answer. Like we want, we want a, a silver bullet solution for everything. And that's, that's not how the world works. So I saw a, a survey recently and it was a year ago. They asked people, do you want most from the government to be left alone or, or to be helped out? And as you might imagine, the left was way to the majority of, we want government to help us out. Mm-hmm. The right was completely the opposite. The right was something, it was something like 89% of Republicans polled 
said, what I want most from government is to leave me alone. When they just did that, the swing was up to like 79% of Republicans said they now want the government to help them out. And the defense of it was, well, that's because the government screwed it up. Doesn't matter why it matters that. So you're at a point yeah. now where I'm going to guess if, if Republicans are at 70 to 79%, put margin of the error in there at 10%, say it's 70%. You're looking at like 90% of people in this country right now that think the most important thing government can do is to help you. Mm -hmm. And that includes the people that champion Ronald Reagan who said the scariest thing you would ever hear from a government person was, I'm here to help. Yeah, it is scary. It's scary, it's scary after a hurricane, too. Whew. Yeah, I mean, like... Listen to some FEMA stories. Oof. Well, when you have people bringing food to shelters and the FEMA people saying, take it out of here. Yeah. Just as one example, that's... You know, we saw that actually happen with some of the stuff we did, right? Like, right. people showed up. One guy flew in, like, a bunch of sandwiches and shit, and the FEMA lady told him to leave. He wasn't yeah. in charge. Now, he told her to go, you know, Screw. do something to herself. <laughs> something, something yourself, right? Really yeah. something hard. And then he went and fed people anyway. Yeah. But the fact that that even has to happen, it tells you that this is not who you need to be looking for to fix things. Like, this is the worst decision you can make is to say to the government, help me out. They're printing all this money now, and I'm not like a Tom Woods that says we're going to go into, like, runaway hyperinflation. Because when you put money into a hold, you don't get a pile. And $3 trillion sounds like a lot. And boy, you know, 20 years ago it was. Now it's 4%, 5% of the actual M3 if you figure out what it is. Mm -hmm. um, but it's not good. And it leads to a point of dependence. And I think, I, I don't know what you think. I think we are headed straight into UBI. I, yeah. I thought that when, when they did that $600 unemployment mm -hmm. way back when, my first comment was this is how we get UBI. And I think that all the, 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 uh, the Trumpians might be surprised. I still think he's going to win re-election. And I think, yeah. he will, I think he will totally turn his back on the right the minute he does and do all the things he's wanted to do up till now. Because I, I think Trump is a centrist populist, which mm -hmm. means he's going to do a lot of things that make a lot of Republicans really, really mad. Well, he's also going to do a lot of things that make them really happy when he can. Yeah. But he's also willing to do all the other things they don't want. Yep. And and he's not facing another re-election. So. Yeah, yeah, he's going to have more flexibility, you know, yeah. like Obama did with Vladimir. <laughs> I cannot believe, like, I knew it was bad, but Biden, really? Well, I don't think they want to win. I think that no, was they a, don't. a that's clear, clear indication. And he, people think that's crazy, but if you believe what I believe about what 2021, 2022 looks like, you wouldn't want to be in charge either. If you want it, the biggest iron grab claw grip you can get on society, which I believe the left does, then you mm -hmm. don't want to hold the potato in 2021 and 2022. It's going to be a very hot, very nasty potato that explodes in your face and gives you third-degree burns in your corneas. And I hate saying that, and I hope I'm wrong. But that's what I expect. I think it's what they expect. And if you can get Trump to give you a lot of what you want while the right melts down that in 2024 you have a full takeover. Mm -hmm. And you don't have a full takeover like Obama 2008. You have a full take, like an AOC type takeover. Now, I don't think she's your next president. That's not what I mean. I'm saying that's your majority of Democrats in office are of that mindset. 
yep. in the next cycle. And I think that they went, you know what? Screw it. We don't want this. We don't want this. We don't want this. We don't want this. You and I said that before COVID. You were on the show and we talked about it. Yeah. Like, like they don't want it. But I didn't I, have a good I, I reason. I called the riots, but I called them on the wrong schedule. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I said it, but I didn't have a good reason for it. Now I have, unfortunately, a terrible, great reason for it. Like, yeah. we have the disintegration of the school system, which is going to have economic impacts people do not understand. And that also includes the, the secondary education market. It's going to have huge financial implications. You have... The, the evacuation from the cities, I, there was something like in Manhattan, 14,000 apartments on open inventory in August. Yeah. 14,000. And August is traditionally the shortest inventory month in Manhattan apartments. That's, I know there's so many people there and all that. That's, or that's just the apartments. They're the ones that can go first. LA is just, people are just hauling ass. And you got 5G rolling out, which, by the way, doesn't cause COVID, for God's sakes. Yes, um, it does. Oh, yes. It's <laughs> <laughs> no, yes, it does. No, it doesn't. That's the argument. But the whole point of that is even your most rural communities are going to have high-speed Internet in the next five <laughs> years. So that's only going to exasperate. Because people say they want to live in the cities. You know what? You're right. There are some people that want to. Most of them are young, and they like to party. Well, take away the ability to party, and that kind of goes away. But even those people are the minority. Most people that say they like living in cities, what they really mean is they like the income they have. They like yeah. the income. And if you don't need to be there for the income or the income doesn't exist, you, 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 yeah, yeah. Because I'll tell you what, I would rather be homeless in a rural community than homeless in a city. Yeah. I mean, because my odds of getting killed while I'm being homeless are much higher in a city. And in rural communities, I'm much more likely to find people that are like, hey, we're not going to give you a handout, but you want to do some work? You want to shovel some stuff? You want to sleep in a barn? Like, that's more likely what I'm going to deal with. So I think if, you know, I, I think when you think about that whole dynamic, there's going to be this massive flood out, and what's going to be left behind, you're not going to want to be around it. And, yeah, so if you if, if Trump takes Trump, – Trump has a big win – it takes take like takes the house back it goes that crazy then the republicans get all the blame yeah and that's exactly what they need they get all the blame for everything and if the, if they don't take the house over you know what he says got to work with them got to work with the democrats what do you guys want i think democrats make better politicians than republicans oh yes just stereotypically yes speaking they're just better at it you're not saying they do better things you're saying they're better politicians and they are yeah i mean politicians are scum and they're better at it <laughs> Oh, so what else you got? What do you think? Is any good going to come from this? I It's up to us to make the good come from it, right? So the, the re, when you're planning your life, you look at the reality of the world, and we have one here, and we have an economy that's going to go through some really rough times uh, in the next few years, which opens the door for some really bad policies to be implemented on us. And with that in mind, and knowing about how much power we have over the political machine, right? I think it's a great time right now at this moment to figure out where you want to be in two to five years and go there. Okay. If, if UBI comes in and we're all getting it for a brief window, it's going to be like awesome because there's all this money that you get for doing nothing. And then later the hammer is going to drop on that and controls will be added, I think. 
and um, somebody has to pay for it. So tax is going to go up on on somebody or something. And but in that window, that's when you have the chance to break out. Right. And and I think the more of us who know and can work together and and strengthen our communities and take those steps towards um, financial independence and away from regions where you're likely to get cracked down on, that's your chance to prosper if you haven't already. And for those who are prospering, looking at how to keep that stability in your life and that independence in your life is really, really important. I also think there's a huge opportunity for us to, to form digital communities that get outside a lot of these things. And I'm very excited by that concept. And I know it sounds like crazy to some people, but if we can trade with each other outside the system, then when the system gets harder and harder to work within, we've already got a second system built. Hmm. I agree. That's my crazy answer. (laughs) I've been been saying that for years. Like This is the first time in history we've had such advanced warning that we can build a new system before the old one fails. That's usually not how that works. Yeah. You know, know, uh, uh, people think when you say UBI, it's not doable. Right now... 65 million Americans receive Social Security. Mm-hmm. 65 million. So take kids out. Because I think people, I don't, maybe people don't understand that if we do UBI, there probably is no more Social Security. Right. Like that goes away. Like you just, it's basically you're going to get Social Security your whole life, your whole adult life. Right. Or they might even, you know, who knows? They might, they might do something like you start getting your UBI at 25. Why 25? I don't know. Cause Why somebody not with 25? Because somebody with a spreadsheet said so. Or, you know, when you start getting your UBI, you're no longer a dependent. So you can't get your parents' um, health care and you, they can't deduct for you or even if you're a student. Who knows? I mean, there's a million ways to do this, but it, it's probably not the percentage. Like, people think that's 100% of Americans. Well, it's nobody under 18. Everybody yeah. over 65-ish is already counted anyway. And then that's just 65 million. When I say that, that's the number of people that got old and are drawing it. 65 million. If you actually look at the percentage of Americans on some form of government assistance, not indirect. So, yes, you know, you bought the steak that was fed with the subsidized corn. I don't mean that way. I mean directly receiving a check from government. I bet it's over $100 million. Probably. It's over a third. I mean, you've got and then, and then military disability and all that other stuff in there, too. Sure, yeah, military retirement. So I didn't even think of that. You got How about how many people are on mili- uh, uh, government, federal government retirement? So it's, it's not as many more people than we already have. Now, I think they have to do something to change the currency and all. And I actually see it as a great opportunity if you're smart. Mm-hmm. You have to be smart because if you give me an extra two grand a month, I'm just throwing in my retirement. I don't need it. I'm not spending it. I'm investing it. Yeah, and if that's you, if you that's take another, if you give me two grand a month and take two grand from me, I'm at a net even. Which, Are you going to invest it or go crypto? Yeah, something. <laughs> but I think that like there's a tremendous opportunity there. But I think it's also going to hurt. People think it's going to help, but I think it's going to hurt small business. Because I'm not cleaning your toilet. Why would I clean your toilet at your hotel? That's like one of the jobs. I don't I don't see toilet cleaning robots anytime soon. Right. But why would I clean your toilet? 
If I can make minimum wage plus for sitting on my ass, I don't. Maybe I don't need another two grand. Maybe all I need is a thousand. I'll go find something I can make a thousand dollars to do, but I'm probably not cleaning toilets. Like I think there's going to be a lot of places it's going to get hard to find labor, and that's actually going to drive labor costs up. So that could actually be an opportunity. It's going to accelerate automation too. Oh, it's good. Why, why do you need to clean my toilet? There's well, going to be the justification itself. for it, right? Because of right. this, we have to do this. Because of right. automation, we have to do UBI. Yeah. Do you think it can get forestalled because of our semi-breakup with uh, China? I mean, that could happen because if if we keep the breakup in place, then we have to start doing more things here. Yeah. But I'm not sure we're going to keep the breakup. I don't know that we're going to keep it, and, and like then there's places like the Philippines and yeah, Colombia it, and like all over the world. There's all kinds of underdeveloped nations to import shit from. Yeah. China just got really good at it. They are really good at it. That's all I have. China got really good at it. If I were if I were a Filipino entrepreneur right now, I'd be going, hmm, hmm, what can I do? I would be making the Philippine equivalent of Alibaba right now if I were mm-hmm. in the Philippines or Thailand or anywhere but China with a good arbitrage rate against the U.S. dollar. India? Well, they have like 1.7 billion people in India. You know, if I was in India and run setting policy, I'd be like, guys, guys, do you know we can do more in call centers? In fact, just going to say maybe call centers are not our strong suit. Like maybe there's something we could do better than call centers. Mm-hmm. For who? The United States. This pissed off at China right now. Like, so I don't even know that if we if we do have somewhat of a formalized China breakup, which like you, I doubt. Did it even matter? So like, are we actually going to bring the work home, what there is? Or are we going to bring home work that's going to be done by automation anyway? No. Oh, you don't have an answer. I don't either. I didn't, I didn't have an answer. Sorry. I don't have an answer either. I don't know. <laughs> Nicole don't does know. not have answers to everything. No. <laughs> so anyway. I, there's no way to know that. I just, it's, it, we have to see what happens. And I think that's why analyzing the situation that's going on and remaining flexible is really important. What are you and then what when you can you take advantage of that little crack, you just do it. What are you, Nicole, going to do? What is your plan for the next six months to a year? Well, the coffee business is going to get a lot larger, and I did catch my roaster on fire last week, so it might get larger really quickly. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, like it burned where things should burn, except for you're not supposed to burn coffee. Okay. So, you know, there's some of that going on. I have completely stopped doing the corporate facilitation and being dependent on that financial source. And then where I like to put my efforts in is in – building community as actively as as quickly as possible because I don't see this as one person gets through it and another person does it. I see it as the teams. We have different teams or different groups and, and that's how we get through by helping each other. And so like when I'm talking about a digital community, I I mean a digital community, right? Mm-hmm. With people in it helping each other. And not just to be altruistically helping each other, but because that's how we survive this. That's that's that is how we survive the next decade. And if you don't have a community, then it's going to be a lot harder. My plan is to keep educating people. I think it's the number one thing that we can do is to teach people, because if you're going to be on my team, I want you to be able to do something. Yeah, I don't want my team to be a numbers count game. 
Oh, I got more people. Well, you got yeah, more, no. If you don't teach them, then you've got more mouths to feed. And I, I don't just want to teach my team. I want to teach all the teams. Because the more self-sufficient people are, the more self-reliant they are, then the less drain on the whole system. And, and I am a believer that we either go into a full centralized, complete government-controlled society in the next 10 years, or we decentralize like crazy. Right. And I don't think there's an option C. Uh, that's one. That's not one of those things where I'm going to go. This is Jack Spirico, and you can put you know put that put it in all capital letters, and that's the way. It's, I don't know that. I'm saying, in a dozen years of doing this, and looking, always trying to find a way that I'm wrong. I don't see where I'm wrong when I say it's an A or B game this time. No, I, I don't think you're wrong either, and and I know that you and I want to see decentralized systems. Because, so I'm really careful then, right? Because since I want it, yeah, right, you know. But a central—if you look at the negative impacts of a totally centralized system, which has been tried more than one time, um, you know, a it won't last forever if it goes into place. But a lot of people get killed when that happens. A lot of people will be killed. Yeah, yeah. And I value people, so yeah. Well, hey, I, I really appreciate you being with us, Nicole. You want to? I know that most people know who you are, but just let people know how they can find out more about what you do. Yeah, if you want to find out about more what I do, uh, you can find me at, at my website, livingfreeintennessee.com. I have a podcast there. I do workshops. We're doing a poultry processing workshop on September 21st in Tennessee. 65 bucks, and you get to go home with your own chicken that you processed. And then I also sell coffee over at hollerroast.com. It's mail order, which is perfect for right now, straight to your door. And you can pay with crypto if you want to kind of stick it outside the system. So that's how you find me. Awesome. Awesome. Well, hey, thanks for being with us today. This was a long one, but I think it was a fun one, too. Thanks for having me, Jack. Like I said, it was a long episode, so we will uh, wrap up quickly here. Hope you guys did enjoy that. I always enjoy talking to Nicole. Just want to remind you, if you like the show and the work that we do, you can always help support the Survival Podcast by doing your online shopping at tspaz.com. That's T-S-P-A-Z, tspaz.com. Item of the day for you today is the Maglite LED 3D cell flashlight and the 2D cell flashlight. Kind of a toot for having both in the write-up. Um, the reason I'm bringing them around today, though, is they're both on sale. Uh, one of my price alerts kicked off today. Uh, the 3D cell light, which is my go-to around the house light, I have them in every window sill, uh, is on sale for 30% off. But what I don't talk about as much is the 2C cell light. I, I find that to be a much better uh, light for uh, like your bug out bag and things like that. It's smaller, but it's still substantial. It could still be used as an impact weapon. I mean, there is that going for it. Uh, it has a lot of light and a pretty good reserve capacity because of the light that's in it. They're both great lights. And again, one's on sale for 30% off. The other's on sale for 20% off. Both at a great price today, which is why I've brought them around. And, um, you know, there's a lot of new lights out in the world. There's a reason I keep going back to the mag light. It's been around forever. I've used it forever, and it's never stopped working. Uh, check them out today. Do know this. Uh, there are still some negative reviews that pop up from time to time about Maglite that really have nothing to do with the modern Maglites. When Maglite first made the switch to LEDs, they had some heat issues. Uh, that was only one run of those lights, and that was like eight years ago. And the modern lights do not have – in fact, it was like that one run 
had that issue, and it's never come back, and it's never been an issue again. Uh, check out uh, all of our items of the day at tspaz.com. With that, let's wrap things up with the song of the day. Um, I decided to pull my own song today instead of use one of John Adams'. Um, I just, after we did this show, I thought there's only one song that we can wrap up the day with, and I don't need to say a lot about it. It's the end of the world as we know it, and I feel fine by REM. With that's been Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast. That's great. It starts with an earthquake, birds and snakes, an airplane, and Lenny Bruce is not afraid. I have a hurricane. Listen to yourself. Turn world to its own needs. Dummy, serve your own needs. Beat it up and not speak.